The job. The stress. We are, there is an active shooter working at Douglas. Multiple gunshots are being fired. Politics. Politics. Pressure. Pressure. Get out of here. We got a guy with a long rifle. We don't know where the hell he's at. Fear. Survival. Control 765, I need the radio for a minute. Be advised, we are taking fire from a very high floor. We believe it's possibly coming from the Mandalay Bay. And we get it. And we have to do better. The truth behind the badge. Presented by the Team South Florida Law Enforcement Charity. Good evening, good evening. This is Rich from Team South Florida here with a, this is part one of a two-part series and I am joined again by Emily Nims. Emily, how are you tonight? Doing all right. How are you? I can't complain. We've got, actually I can complain. I'm just not going to. So, <laughs> That's probably for the best. It's a, it's a crazy time out there and I don't even know where to begin. So we're not even going to go there. So this is a welcome distraction, even though this is going to be a very difficult series. I wanted to thank you for the opportunity again. And, you know, just so we're clear, so we could be upfront, your goal is to basically tell your story, paint the picture, and help other people. And I think there's a lot that can be said from learning from one's experiences such as your own and some are positive and some are easy to talk about others are the complete opposite do you agree with that i for once agree with you yeah all right well thank you for agreeing with me that's a nice change <laughs> anyway uh so, so just as a little bit of an introduction we are just over a month away from your husband's end of watch date. And I know I remember that day where I was, what I was doing, where I was going. So I sure as hell know that you do as well. So part one, I think just to break this up a little bit, I think what we'll do is why don't you take us through the first week or so, maybe week and a half, the communication, finding out about what happened and taking us through the funeral and then part two we'll come back in a couple of weeks maybe next month early next month right before the one year anniversary and we can talk about the last year how does that sound that sounds spot on okay so without further ado and i i understand if this is not easy some of the a lot of these conversations are not easy but i guess you're a glutton for punishment when it comes to this you know so where were you? And I assume you got a phone call. Why don't we start with that? Got a phone call. I was sleeping. It was seven in the morning. So at, I think at this point, we all know Benji. Benji was killed at three in the morning. Um, I was in Indiana. Uh, and he was in Florida three days away from leaving BSO to come work for Fishers. And I was in bed with the kids. It was 7 a.m. and my phone was going off and I went to look and it was my, my brother. Um, so I answered it 
I think at that point, you're getting a call from a family member that early in the morning, something's not right. Um, I was actually just talking to him about this yesterday, and neither one of us can seem to remember the conversation verbatim. But he mentioned Benji's name, and he said, I need you to go wake up Tim, which is Benji's dad. I was staying with Benji's parents in, the, in that time. Uh, so I, I was asking him, I said, tell me what happened, what's going on? He said, no, no, go get Tim. I need you to have Tim. So I ran into my in-laws room and I remember shoving Tim and I shoved him hard. And he looked at me startled and I said, something's going on with Benji. I ran out of the room and I was yelling at my brother. I wanted him to tell me and he was, I'm his little sister. I think he was just having a hard time um, trying to figure out how to tell me. But he said, there's an officer at your door go let him in and I'll tell you what's going on. So I was yelling at him. I think Tim was probably following me around trying to figure out what's going on. I opened the door and a Fisher's police officer is, is there. He walks in. And at that point, Justin told me that Benji had been in an accident and they did all they could. And I don't know if I let him finish but I remember calling him a fucking liar and telling him that he was wrong and Benji was just injured. He was hurt. He was hurt, but he, he was, he was okay. And he kept saying, no, Emily, no. Tim was following me around. Eliza and Tommy were upstairs crying because when I got out of bed, I must've startled them. And I just remember cursing at Justin a lot, punching a countertop and telling him that he was wrong. And I wanted to know what happened. And all he could say was there was an accident. We don't know. There was an accident. We don't know, but he's dead. And there was a, the Fisher's officer sitting in the dining room. Tim was in shock. Kathy was in shock. And then Kathy had to go tend to Eliza and Tommy. Tommy was only a year old at that point. And um, I just remember, I think, just repeatedly saying, what do I tell my kids? What do I tell Eliza? And then somehow that phone conversation ended. But I don't remember how it was left off. I don't remember if I just hung up on him. I remember looking at that officer and he, I don't remember his face. I remember his eyes. He just, the way he looked at me, that you could tell his, you could tell he was just so broken for us. And I just, and I must've made it worse because I was just looking at him and I said, what do I tell my kids? Do you happen to know if he has kids? The officer? Yeah. I don't know. Because I, I, I can't imagine. I would say any officer delivering news like that is going to put themselves in as close to your situation as possible. And there's times in this job that we don't have the answers. And I think that this would probably be one of them where 
we're used to helping people and your family, you're one of us and it's so incredibly difficult. Um, there's times where we just, we can't help. And I, I'm kind of at a loss for words over there. Um, was your phone going crazy at this time? I, I'm curious, you said three o'clock and seven o'clock. So Benji died at three. I was notified for the first time at 7 a.m. And yeah, after that, it it was a constant just my phone was bombarded with calls from phone numbers i had no idea who they were i spoke to so many people that day and i don't remember who any of them were i do remember every single time i spoke to somebody they asked they wanted to help and i said you can help me by telling me what i can tell my kids that is that was that was my my main concern was Eliza and every single person told me the same thing we don't know what to tell you which is understandable but in the moment what can you do to help me what the fuck do you tell your four-year-old when her dad is dead and at the same time so you're you're probably torn between what do you tell your kids and what happened and I had no idea a million things going through your mind and I I remember specifically it's like a quarter after six and I was driving right past the scene and I actually got diverted because they had the road shut down in every which direction and then details started to come in and when I say details I mean hardly any details just like very 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 minimal details it was a bad crash deputy involved didn't appear that he survived and that's about all I knew at that time but it's just, I can't imagine how difficult it was for you in Indiana. So at that time, are you, are you also trying to think, how do I get to Florida? Is that another thought? I tried. I was, I kept on getting calls and everyone was like, everyone was telling me, don't, don't tell Eliza. Just, just my, and when I, I emphasize this, my main priority at that point was Eliza. We had a calendar. We were Xing days off on the calendar to when Benji was going to be home. He was going to leave Florida on the 31st. He was going to be home on August 1st. Um, so we, we were marking down, just Xing off the days. And at that point, I was told Benji was dead. Honestly, I don't think that I believed it, and I'll get into that later. I, I don't think that it really hit me, but I was like, well, I have to tell my daughter something. Because everyone's just like, don't, don't tell her. Just, just get to Florida, and then you can tell her. Like, you know Eliza. You know her personally at this point. She's not fucking stupid. She's, she's, she knew where Benji was. We were marking down the days. I can't tell her we're going to Florida for whatever reason. She's going to expect to see Benji, and when she gets there, then I tell her? No, you're I can't, absolutely right. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do that to her. So I'm, I'm getting all these phone calls, and everyone's telling me just just get here you need to get here right now you need to get here right now and, and I trust me I wanted to be there but I wanted to tell Eliza first and I think we've kind of talked to this uh, about this in the past where I was just like the, the whole social media thing and thank god Eliza was only four because I couldn't figure out how to break her world 
and it took me hours to do it hours so that was that was the first thing is i i had to sit there and tell her but at the same time i was trying to multitask i was doing laundry fucking laundry that never fucking stops because now i had to go to florida and i of course needed to i had to do laundry it was a laundry day so i'm doing laundry i'm trying to pack i'm trying to tell eliza her dad is dead tending to a one-year-old baby we're all grieving we're getting phone calls left and right media's calling us social media's blowing up and i'm trying to book my own flight to florida which did not go well because i was crying on the phone and i somehow booked a flight from minneapolis to fort lauderdale instead of indianapolis because i was sobbing on the phone so the guy couldn't understand what i was saying you know this is the first time i heard that <laughs> it was bad <laughs> so you know and and that was with with cat my mother-in-law's credit card <laughs> so thank that got taken care of um i'm 98% positive that that all got fixed uh cuz obviously we did not make that flight um but after you know that very expensive mistake on my end i i called i called bso and i was just like I obviously am not in the place to do this. I need you guys to get us there because I, I could, I just couldn't. When you say I, there, I, you, you mean the flight, the flight to right. get us to Florida, um, which they did. They coordinated everything with Fishers and, and we got to, to Florida. But that, that first day um, was just a wreck. And I think, I think telling Eliza was, and and still to this day is. I, mean, I had Kathy with me, Benji's mom. We went up to the playroom. Tommy was not there. I don't. I don't know where he was. Um, but we took Eliza to the playroom and sat down with her. And I, I. I told her that um, daddy was on his way to help somebody and another car hit daddy's car and that daddy got really bad boo-boos and that his boo-boos were so bad that his, that his body stopped working and that we couldn't see daddy anymore. Take a breath. I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's, there, there's nothing anybody can say, and there's no right way or wrong way in this particular case. I, 150%, 1,000%, I don't know anybody that would disagree. You needed to tell her beforehand. I think you 100% did the right thing in that regard. And for those that don't know Eliza, I mean, I'm, I feel honored, even though she threatens me sometimes. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel honored to say I know her. Um, she's, she's very mature for her age. She's not, she's not naive and it's just crushing. It's just heartbreaking. 
I don't even know. I mean, one of the topics I wanted to ask you about is talking to your children about this and it's, it's not easy. And when it comes down to it, you know, um, it, and this will, this will be, I guess a lot of this will be in the, in the second part of it is, you know, moving forward afterward and, and how to, because I communicate all of this differently between Eliza and Tommy uh, because they're at different ages, different stages, and they, they take things in differently and have different memories of Benji. Um, so this will definitely come up later on uh, as to, to how we approach things and, and how, you know, the kids have grown in, in understanding what happened. But in that first, in that first day, I couldn't use the word, died I could not use the word killed I couldn't use anything that sounded too permanent um I always just said daddy got really bad boo-boos he got really bad boo-boos and and we can't see him anymore that's that's all I could say to her and in her own way I think she understood that um it became much more real for her at the funeral. I can tell you that right now. Uh, but at that time, she she was just as confused as us. And I don't, I can't imagine what it was like for her at that point because, I mean, we were all a mess. And I, I just have to say thank God for, for Benji's parents and them being who they were because I, I don't know what I would have done without them fuck i mean for for christ's sakes if i would have gotten that phone call and i wouldn't have been with tim and kathy eliza and tommy probably would have just been upstairs crying by themselves because i i was in just a state of just distress i was pacing i was punching countertops i was cursing much more than usual so I, I don't know what I would have done without them. And, and they were, and they have been just a gigantic support through everything. Um, but that first day, that was essentially it. You know, it was, it, it was just telling her, doing laundry, packing, and trying to, just trying to function to an extent. And that night, none of us got any sleep. <laughs> none of us got any sleep. It was nonstop phone calls, but I remember I couldn't sleep at all. And I don't remember who told me the story. I think it was my, my brother who also works for BSO. So it turns out, I don't know if I ever told you this, but before, before Benji and his partner got the call for the domestic, before they, they heard it come through the radio, they were on their way to get coffee and donuts. They had just finished another call. Benji had just changed that tire. There's this perfect picture of his ass bending over and changing a tire. So he had just finished that call and him and and Ramon were going to go get coffee and donuts. And all I could think of was he he never got his donuts. That's all I could think of that night. All I could think of all night was Benji never got his fucking donuts and his coffee. That night, you know, there had been a Carmel police officer parked outside all night. Uh, His name is Officer James Morris, and I'm so close to him and his family now at this point. I took him out water and Gatorade. 
And I, I remember yelling at him and I was just like, if you're anything like Benji, all you drink is bang. And I was like, and you don't fucking hydrate. I'm like, and you need a goddamn hydrate. And I handed him a water and a Gatorade. And he said, for Benji, I will, I will drink these tonight. Poor guy probably had to piss so bad. And I know I'm going to go. <laughs> but after that, I, you know, I went inside and I couldn't stop thinking about the coffee and donuts. So here I am. It's like four in the morning and I drive to Dunkin' Donuts and I waited outside for them to open until five in the morning. Um, already all packed up and ready to go. We were getting escorted from, by Fishers and Carmel to the airport later on that morning. But somebody was going to get the fucking coffee and donuts. Someone was going to. So I waited outside of Dunkin' Donuts till they opened up. I don't know how much I bought, but I bought like jugs of coffee and a shit ton of fucking donuts. And I brought it back and I guilted them into eating it. Because when I got back, there was, there was a whole, I mean, there was a whole mess of, of officers at the house for us. And, um, I, hand, I walked up to them and I said, Benji was on his way to get his donuts and he never got them. I was like, S- someone needs to get them. How are you going to turn that donut down? You can't. So <laughs> no, you, you can't. So you're talking less, less than 24 hours. You're basically going to the airport. Yes. Less than 24 hours. Uh, I think it was about six, six thirty in the morning. We officially headed out to the airport. And at this point, there's probably so much that you remember and so much you don't remember at this point. So about 24 hours later, did you get all the details and all the information or still kind of no. in the in the dark uh, about some of it? In the dark. I didn't know what his injuries were. Did I... you want to know? Yes. Okay. Yes, I wanted to know. Um, at that point, we had been told it's a homicide investigation. You cannot discuss it. Nobody can discuss it. Nobody can post about it. Nobody can say anything about it. So we had no information. We also could not give any information if we had it. We could not talk about it. It's a little Um, bit frustrating. I don't think that you would be the one to necessarily give information or share information, but at the same time, I wish wish you were provided information if they could have. It's it's a difficult balance, I guess. I knew it was an accident. I knew he was on his way to a call. I knew he was supposed to get coffee and donuts. That's what I knew. I knew nothing else. Wow. I always tell you to stop me if I say too much. Did you ever get to see him? I did. Not on that first day, obviously. Not on that second day. I saw him on the third day. Where was that? After they moved him from the Emmy's office to the funeral home, I got to see him. And it probably got even more real at that point, I would say. So you know me at this point. I think a little bit. It's safe to say. So I had been begging to see him from the beginning. Um, begging. I mean, that, that second day, do you want to skip over the second day or do you want to, what do you want to do here? No, don't get mad at me. I, I jumped ahead. Sorry. Take I us know, to the, take us to the second day. <laughs> this is your episode you're in charge i think i'm in charge in just about every episode that i'm on but that's fine um second day we were at the hotel in florida and 
at this point was paperwork. paperwork. I was not much paperwork. It I was mean, benefits and checks. Did you have, I know you mentioned your brother earlier. Did you have your brother with you? Did you have a liaison officer? Did you meet a liaison officer? These reason I ask you this, and I'm just going to finish this statement. Um, one of the things we, we preach, I took a class from Concerns of Police Survivors years ago, and they preach about having benefit paperwork filled out, completed, having these difficult conversations, because we all hope it never happens, but it's so critically important. And I just, I can't imagine thinking about the state of mind you were in to now having to sit down and fill out paperwork. It's just, I can't even imagine. Well, Benji, thankfully, um, had asked me my opinion on a couple of his benefits when he was filling them out. And the only thing that I told him that I cared about, I said, if, you know, benefit-wise, make sure that you allocate certain amounts for Eliza and Tommy. Not that I don't trust myself. It's just, in my opinion, best to have it done that way. You know, just already have amounts allocated for them. It's, you know, just, I think, the right way to do it my opinion. The other benefit that we had working towards is that my brother works for BSO as well and has been on for a very long time. So Benji went to my brother for a lot of the benefit advice. My brother walked him through all of that. Um, and when it came down to it, they sat us in a room and I was, my brother wasn't with me at some point during the day because at first there was the checks and the photos and things like that and then I got walked to a room and at some point my brother and I got separated I remember seeing us there's two women one of them I'm very close to now and there was a stack just a giant stack of, of documents and I I just said no I said I, I can't do any of this without my brother because I don't know what the fuck any of this is and I refused to do anything until he was there. Thank God. Because I don't remember a single amount or a single document that I signed that day. My brother was probably a mess too. Let's be honest. Sure. Sure. But he's familiar with the way that those benefits works. He's familiar with what I was supposed to be getting. And, and he was, thank God, just, he was, so headstrong for, for me the entire time that I felt completely comfortable and he was asking all the right questions. He got copies of everything. He held on to everything for me. He, if I went back to him today and I asked him something, I'm positive he would know exactly what it was and what the amounts were. I sure as hell to this day do not remember. See, and just, and just to be clear, it's not a knock on BSO or any particular no. agency. Unfortunately, the reality is a lot of this is so time sensitive. You just, you have to yeah. get this stuff done. But at the same time, with everything you have going on, I don't, I, thank God you had your brother there. Thank God people in your shoes, hopefully have somebody there with them just like you did, because I, I can't imagine being in the right frame of mind to be doing this. No, and, and honestly, I think that that's such an important thing. When I talked to Chief Gebhardt, you know, we previously discussed how he brought me in to talk to me about the process and how everything went. One of the biggest things I said is make sure that there's somebody there that you trust because 
HR was there, right? And I'm sure they're there to do the right thing. They know the paperwork. I don't know them. Sure. You put me in a room with people that I don't know, and you're talking to me about amounts and figures. To me, at that point, felt like fucking blood money. You know, I, it's in one ear, not the other. That's None of a, it. A lot of, I can't even say a lot. There's, there's a handful of agencies that I can tell you I have personal experience with or knowledge of where they have an officer designate a liaison officer for this very reason. Um, for example, God forbid something ever happens to me, it's, it's documented where I work should know who I would like to communicate with those close to me and, and everything. Uh, I, I remember going to a funeral in Nevada a couple years ago and it was crazy. The, the pastor was actually up on the stage and he said, the officer literally had everything selected. God forbid something happened to the music preference, to what he wanted people to wear, to everything, everything. So, I mean, it's, you see both sides of it. I just can't imagine being thrown up a stack of paperwork and expecting to comprehend everything. It's just, it seems very intimidating. And, and the people who are there, the people in HR, the people doing all that stuff were so empathetic and amazing. Um, again, like I said, one of them, I'm so, so close to them at this point. And, but if I, if it wasn't for my brother, having that person, having that person who I trusted, who was familiar with everything, who knew Benji, who knew me, if it wasn't for that, I don't know what I would have done. That was day two. All I could think about was I need to see Benji. Is this really Ben? Like, is it him? I so wasn't him. So day two, you're you're basically getting to Florida. You're probably getting even more bombarded with phone calls and messages and text messages and voicemails and social media and and everything. And then you're filling out paperwork. You're trying to make arrangements. No okay. arrangements yet. Okay. No, yet. no uh, I wanted to go to the scene. I wanted to see Benji. And I know that the paperwork had to be filled out. And here's what people need to understand. Like, you know, that paperwork, it fucking sucks. But like you mentioned earlier, it is time sensitive. And those things have to be filled out. That's why we have to have these conversations. Because your life is up in flames. Your whole fucking world is crumbling down. And at that point, it pissed me off. The money, <laughs> that shit pissed me off because I didn't fucking want it. But this is their job and it has to get done. Right. So that's why it's important to have these conversations, have a liaison in place, have somebody that you trust and you know you can turn to who's going to understand it and you feel comfortable knowing all of that information because it is a lot of information that personally, the only person that knows all of that is my brother and the two people in the HR room nobody else so you obviously had your brother mm -hmm. would you suggest for any officers that might be listening to this would you suggest that they tell a significant other or a close family member who to specifically reach out for god forbid something does happen this way you don't even have to rely on the agency to identify that liaison officer I would say, yeah. I mean, this is a conversation nobody wants to have, right? You don't ever want to have the conversation of if I die. But the right. 
the thing is that's that is there is that if sure and you know benji and i never discussed if he died who would return to it just happened to be that my brother worked in the same district as benji it just happened to be that they they worked for the same agency i wouldn't have gone to anybody else you know if my brother didn't work there i'm sure benji probably would have wanted me to go to ramon but I, I didn't personally know Ramon at that point, you know? So it, I think it's a conversation that yes, it's difficult to have, but it's imperative to have it because heaven forbid it happens. It's just one less thing that is on your mind. It is one less thing you have to worry about because if you're in that room with someone you don't know and you don't trust, you are going to have to, you're going to have to be paying attention or you're not going to feel comfortable asking that person, Hey, what was that benefit I was supposed to get? How was that going to be paid out? What were the percentages on this? You know, you, you need to have that. I think it's, I would say just thinking out loud and listening to you and talking to you, I, I would say it's more incumbent on us as officers to tell our families, our loved ones, who to reach out to versus, I mean, obviously we would tell, like in Benji's case, you had your brother and he had a, a coworker that he was close with that he trusted. Obviously he can tell him to reach out to you, but with the amount of contacts that you're getting, you've got to be slow to trust people that you don't even know given everything going on. That's why I think it's important for it's important yeah. for him to have told you, this is who I trust if something happens. This way mm -hmm. you can kind of expect it and maybe reach out as well. So at this point, did you did you see the guys at the district? Did you see the district yet? Or take us at finishing day two going into day three. So finishing day two, I we went to Benji scene for the first time. Which at that point you can see the tire marks, you can see the paint, you can see everything. That was during the day or at night? During the day. Yeah, so you could see everything. everything. Eliza and Tommy were in the car. Benji's parents were there. I was there. And a few deputies were there. And Captain Cap was there. Um, Probably had a bunch of media out there. They, If they were, I was probably in so much above just like a blur that I don't remember, but I do remember that they had all the cars blocked around. They had all the patrol cars blocked around the scene, almost like a little, just like just a little wall for us. And um, we went to the scene. We saw everything. We kind of got more or less of this is the direction Benji came from. This is where the other vehicle came from. These are Benji's vehicle's tire marks. This is where his car landed. So this is uh, where you you got to actually, for the first time, visually see what took yeah. place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how long we were there for. I don't believe it was very long. It had been a long day for the kids. And we were in Broward. We were staying in West Palm Beach. So we went back to the hotel. And... This is the point where I got the first signs that this really was Benji because everything at that point to me felt like 
they're saying it's him, but it's it's I'm not convinced. He's not he's not texting me back. He's not answering my phone calls. He's not giving me my pity LOLs on the things I've sent him on Instagram, but I'm not convinced that it's him yet. So we get to the hotel and it's me, my brother, two, three deputies and Cap. They put us in a room in the back of the hotel, kind of like a meeting area by the restaurant. And I get handed a little hazard bag. And I remember taking everything out of that hazard bag. And a badge is a badge. But I took out his wedding ring. And his watch. And then I took out his notepad with his chicken scratch handwriting all over it. And those were my first. This is. This is Benji's stuff. These are these are his things. We picked out this $75 wedding ring four years ago. <laughs> like those were his belongings. And that was the moment that it kind of hit me that this is most likely really happening. Still had not accepted it yet. I still was begging to see him, but he was still at the Emmy's office. So I could not see him there. So that was, that was day two. Um, you know, throughout all of this, you, you still have to find a way to, to, I can't even say I was a fucking parent during that time. I, there, thank God, and I can say this on, on BSO, I think there was deputies around me all the time and I knew the kids were okay. I I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I remember people were, were trying to push food down my throat saying, you got to eat, you got to eat. And the feeling of food in my mouth disgusted me because it was like, I, how can I eat? How can I drink when he can't eat and he can't drink? And at the most, for for like a week, it was I could take like a bite or two of food and then I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't drink water. I I couldn't do it. So day two was a lot of that, was that people trying to get you to eat, trying to, to still function as a parent, filling out paperwork, finally getting some personal belongings. But at that point, not seeing his face made it easy for me to, to try and not believe that it was real. So that was day two. It's a whirlwind of emotions, and it's a, it's just a tremendous amount. Was the was the support from BSO? It sounds like you had just the right amount at this particular time, with constantly having deputies there. But it wasn't. Is there a such thing as too much? Could they could an agency put too much support? So I was staying at a hotel and there was a lot of comings and goings of people. And I I remember there being a lot of people who would show up. But at this point, 
like do I, I don't remember their faces. I don't remember conversations with them or anything. So personally, it didn't really bother me much, I guess, because I the state that I was in was nothing mattered anyway. Right. So there there was a large amount of of people coming and going. Uh, I think that they kind of put a limit on it after. I think there was one night where there was just a lot of a lot of people. Um, and then they kind of, I think they, they kind of put a, a limit on it, but, uh, I, I think that there, there was, there was a lot of love and a lot of support. Um, I was lucky enough to where Benji and I, we had, uh, I'd like to say we had a pretty solid relationship, you know, it could always be better, but we had a, a really solid relationship to where I knew, um, the people he was very close with and, and all that stuff. So, I, I knew who to look for and I knew who I wanted to see and who I looked forward to seeing, but I welcomed at that point, I welcomed any uniform, any uniform. Yeah. Not to go off topic, but I, I know that we've spoken about this before. I, uniform for certain people you, you included, it's a comfort, right? It's like a reassurance. Yeah. Especially the, the seeing that, that green uniform. Um, it was, it was hard to see, but at the same time, it was, it was nice. It was nice seeing it. And, you know, there was, there was no shortage of that for us. Thank God. You know, there was never a shortage of anyone willing to talk to the kids. There was never a shortage of anyone willing to, to, you know, watch Eliza, you know, do her, like, look what I can do, Stuart thing, you know, there. Never any shortage on that. Never any shortage of anybody wanting to hold Tommy, you know, that, which at that point I needed that because as a mother, I was a shell of a mother at sure. that point. So I think anybody can understand that. I would imagine the days start to blend together at some point here. After day three. I think at that point, it was like a countdown for me of I need to see him. So day three, we were moving him from the Emmy's office to the funeral home. And there's that photo of me with Captain Brimlow to my right and, and Tim to my left uh, on media, where I'm watching Benji's body get taken out of the Emmy's office and put into the ambulance to move him to the funeral home. And I'm that stubborn person where I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know every single detail, which at this point I do know everything that happened to Benji, every millisecond of the accident, every reaction that he did, every injury that came to his body. I know every single thing, but I needed to see him. I needed to see Benji. I needed to see what was done to him. I needed to see what he did to Benji. And they Everyone told me you shouldn't see him this way. You shouldn't see him like that. And I wouldn't take, I wouldn't take no for an answer. I had to see him. I had to see him exactly how he was when he died. And I did. And it's not an image that I can get out of my head, but I don't regret it either. And I remember we went to the funeral home. It was me, Tim and Kathy. And the deputies had the kids. And they let me in first. I can't tell you how long I was in there. It felt like I was in and out in a minute. 
I don't know how long I was in there for, really. It could have been a minute. It could have been half an hour. I highly doubt it. But time didn't really exist at that point. I walked in, and they had Benji in a casket, and he was still in his hospital gown. And the casket was open. And I could see his profile, and it was him. Like, that that was my husband. That was Benji. And you know how in the movies, they just walk up to them, and they hold their hand, and they kiss them, and it just seems all natural. There was nothing natural about it. Not for me. There was nothing natural about it for me. I walked up to him, and I saw him, and I looked at him, and And you could see exactly, you could see exactly what happened to him. And um, I tried so hard. I tried so hard to get close to him and to to touch him, and I did. I did. I never knew that a person could feel so, so hard. There wasn't anything there. He was cold. He was so hard. There wasn't any, I went for his hands and there was, there was no give in his hands. And the second that I touched them, it was almost like I jumped, I, I like jumped back. I just couldn't understand. It was him. And he looked like himself, a very, a very damaged version of himself. But he, he was, he was Benji. But there was, there was nothing in him. There was, there was no version of I had seen Benji sleeping for seven years, and they always say, like, oh, they're just sleeping. That's not sleeping. I, I'd, I got to see that man sleep for seven years. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a huge difference. It's not what I expected. I thought, I'm going to be able to kiss him one last time. I'm going to be able to do this. And, and kudos to anybody who's able to do that. I wish I would have been able to. I, I fucking tried but it didn't feel like him. I remember staring at him and I examined his face and his skull and his neck and his, I looked at everything just, you know, I just wanted to see, see what was done to him. And I don't feel like I was in there long. And I walked out of that room and I went to my brother and I, I cried, and Benji's parents walked into the room. That was the, the only time that I saw him in that state. I remember walking up to the, the funeral directors, and I said, I just want you to fix his neck. That's all I could say is I said, just, just they said, is there anything you really want? And I said, just, just fix his neck. But my brother just held me. 
and that was the last time I saw him like that. I saw him two or three more times after that, after they had fixed him, fixed him up and, and made him look more whole. After that day, though, that's when the planning started. After that day is when we went to look at locations for the service and what we were going to do, what we were going to do with Benji's body. Was he going to be cremated? Was he going to go partially here, partially there? That is when everything kind of just took off. How much of that is your decision or are things being told to you or do you feel like you're even in the frame of mind to make decisions like this at this time? I could these have been filled out? They they asked well, I don't know if it could have been filled out. I'm sure it could have. Um Benji and I had always kind of talked. Benji's Benji's brother uh, passed away as well from cystic fibrosis when he was 20. So Benji's brother was cremated. And, you know, Benji and I had that relationship where we joked around a lot. And I always told him that I needed to go first. And I always said, you know, I got to go first because I can't do this without you. And he said, I said, just cremate me and keep me on on the mantle. And then you said, all right, but that's only until I get a new girlfriend and then you're going to go in the attic because you're going to upset her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, he never officially told me what um, what he wanted, but his brother was cremated. I, I always talked about being cremated and I couldn't leave him in Florida. I wasn't going to put him in Wisconsin where he was born because we don't live there. And I, he's supposed to be here with, with me and the kids the only thing that made sense to me was bringing him home. So that's what we decided on. And they did, they asked me on everything, flowers, you know, locations. We went out to locations. We, at this point, I couldn't tell you the days. After I saw Benji, there, there were no days. There was just checklists. And I, I would randomly demand to see him again. Um, but it was just getting stuff done. And, and luckily for me, I, I had, you know, I, I brag about Benji's parents all the time and, and I had them. They helped me make every decision. The only thing that I remember actually speaking up on was his urn. Cause they were showing me stuff and ceramic crap and stone. And it just didn't seem fitting. But the second I saw, the second I saw that, that urn I, I just I think I just yelled at that's Benji I said that's him right there and, <laughs> and I think that's the, the only time that you would have heard me really speak up was was picking out that urn um when it came to location I spoke up then too only because I I think the first time that I actually spoke out about Benji's death I went on social media and I begged people to show up for Benji. I wrote a post and I said, I just wanted people to show up and I didn't want any empty seats. That was my biggest fear was seeing empty seats. So naturally for me, I didn't give a fuck what the location looked like because I sure as hell knew Benji wouldn't have cared. 
I just cared that nobody was going to have to stand and nobody was going to have to stand outside. And, you know, there was plenty of locations where they can watch from another room. They can, you know, we can live stream it and they can stand outside. Benji wouldn't have wanted that. And I, I, I know that for sure. And so all I cared about was where can we fit the most people? Where can everybody sit together to honor Benji? And that's what we found. We found Calvary Chapel. That was a no brainer. Um, so those were the two things that I remember speaking up on everything else, the flowers. I don't even fucking like flowers. So it was, you know, it was, it was kind of like, is, you know, Benji didn't like flowers. So it's like, just do whatever you want. You know, when it comes to that stuff, do whatever you want. Um, when it came to, to who spoke, I feel like at this point I'm just ju- jumping around, but no, you're good. Uh, <laughs> when it came to who spoke, that was something that it's, it's very special. You know, I, um, I think, you know, the story, you know, Benji's best friend cause was backpacking in like Yosemite or something like that when, when Benji died. So he had to backpack to some fucking airport and like hitchhike and do all this crazy stuff to get, but he got here to get to the funeral and, and he got there. Um, and he spoke, thankfully Benji's, uh, army buddy, Fuji spoke, my brother, Justin spoke. I wanted one of my brothers to speak. And I think they kind of hashed that amongst themselves as to who was going to do it. Cap spoke for the most part. I had discretion as to who spoke and who did not speak. Right. So. Was there anybody at this point? So from the time you found out to the time after the funeral, was there anybody at this point that was, and you don't have to mention a name, either a rank or just a yes or a no. Was there anybody that was like really instrumental or cared or got involved with the family or really made it a point to be there? Cap. You know, there was Benji's, Benji's own partner in Cap. Um, when I think about there's there's a few memories that just and you know me at I'm such an inappropriate person and I make the worst jokes at the worst times and you curse um, a little bit you know just just a tad um but there there was a few few points where at that point all I wanted to do was laugh and and I didn't want people to feel bad for me I didn't want to I just I wanted to laugh and Cap he got to know us. He got to know us well. He got to, he got to know us so well that his speech was flawless, and he made me laugh at my husband's funeral, which I'll never forget. That funeral was hard enough as is. That was the first time Eliza heard the words that Benji died while she was sitting on my lap. Hmm. But to make me laugh at my husband's funeral when I'm sitting less than ten feet away from his body, that meant so much to me. That's something that I'm I'm forever going to be grateful for. I remember the honor guard doing a, a phenomenal job over there as well. They did. There's there's little things here and there that you remember. And <laughs> um, everything was a countdown to to saying goodbye to him. You know, everything. And, and like I said, I saw, I saw Benji two or three more times after that first time. And then I almost felt selfish because... I don't, I don't remember if it was like that second to last time or what, but I was sitting there staring at him and then I was realizing every time that I want to see him, they have to pull him out of whatever they keep him in to keep his body preserved. 
and they have to just open him up and let him sit here and his body is all I could think about was his body is deteriorating every second that I stare at him and even though logically I was aware that he didn't feel it I felt like I was hurting him and I hated myself for it it got to the point where I I went up to Benji's family and I said I'm sorry because there was people still flying in and I said I'm sorry everybody was flying in there was Benji's sister and uh, Benji's stepsister. And I said, they, they get to see him once and then we're not bringing him out ever again. We're not doing this to him anymore. I said, we're not doing this to him. And I felt like it was me doing this to him. Like I was physically hurting him and I couldn't do it anymore. And I don't even remember the last time I saw him. I, I remember, I remember what day it was. I just remember looking at him and I made him a few promises I promised him that I was going to raise the kids as Packers fans and Blackhawks fans and Brewers fans, but I told him that I was keeping the heat because he didn't like the Bucks anyway. <laughs> and then I, I told him that I was going to keep his memory alive for the kids, and that was the last time that I saw him. Um, and in between that time, you know, there's, there's that preparation. There is the, I'm a T-shirt and jeans girl, and I can't say goodbye to my husband in a T-shirt and jeans, so I have to go to the fucking mall and buy – dresses for a funeral and a memorial you know so it's the stuff that you don't really think about is there anything during this week that you regret i think the one regret that i'm always going to have is i didn't speak at his funeral i don't know if i would have been able to i wanted to but i had no i had no words which seems so weird for me now because all i ever do is talk but i had no words none at all and i feel like as his partner and as his wife, I should have said something. As my kids are sitting there at this funeral, watching videos of their dad on the screen, watching, listening to people talk about him, I should have said something and I didn't. You know, there's, I feel like during that whole week, there's going to be things that I always regret. There's going to be things like the, the guilt that I, I, can't do anything about the fact that I was asleep when Benji died. The fact that I didn't find out until seven in the fucking morning and I was dreaming away in bed when he was dead. I'm always going to have regrets for that. I'm always going to have guilt for that. I'm always going to feel like I should have spoken for him. I should have done a better job to represent him in that time. But everything else that I did, I do feel that I really put, him in mind of what would he have wanted what would he have been saying would he been been okay with this decision and I feel pretty confident that he would have been the turnout that he had and that had that had nothing to do with me that was just blue family it's it's everything that he deserved and I'll tell you I'm one of the when you talk about the turnout one of the things that's always nice for our organization when we go to funerals is to see the turnout. And unfortunately, when it's a, a traffic crash, sometimes the turnout is a little less. When it's a, a shooting, it's usually a lot more. In Benji's case, I mean, in my immediate vicinity, there was no open seats. The turnout was impressive. There's, there's no denying that, so. Yeah. No, it was, and so I'm saying, you know, I. I think I've spoken on it before is that that walking, walking through that sea of blue, driving through it, seeing it, 
it's what has kept me, you know, continuing forward. And it's one of the, the biggest reasons for everything that's gone on in the year after Benji died. It's the way that you guys showed up. Like I, there's, there's no way to take credit for that. That is every individual officer. That's, that's them wanting to fucking be there. That's them wanting to show up. There's no way to take credit for that. That is an individual decision. And you guys did it for our family. Eliza remembers that still. And she sees cars, lights and sirens. She sees officers. She sees flags. And she says, that's for daddy. To this day, she says, that's for daddy. That is the impact that you guys make when you show up to these funerals. When you guys show up for these families, that is what stayed with my daughter was that that was all for daddy. I think that's a huge takeaway. I think that's a huge positive and a huge takeaway. As we get to the tail end of this, this is just part one. Now, part two is going to be far more intense with a year's worth of events and what's transpired and some good and some bad and ups and downs and where you are right now. And definitely look forward to that. Is there anything from the first week that we didn't cover basically from when you found out to the, the funeral, is there anything that went incredibly well? Is I already asked you about the regrets. Is there a message you want to give a message you want to say, whether it's to officers, to loved ones, to chiefs, a- a- anybody? I think to officers, the only thing I can say is have those difficult conversations. And I know that you don't want to sit there and think that, what if this happens and what if this happens? It's not you being negative. This isn't you saying, I think I'm going to fucking die today. So I'm going to have this conversation. That's not what it is, but they are important to have. You know, I, I just made a post the other day about having difficult conversations with your kids. It's your fucking job to do those. Right. Well, it's your, you should have those conversations with your significant other, with your parents, whoever it is, who's going to have to deal with this. If something were to go wrong, you should have those conversations because especially, especially the liaison part, everything else, the funeral, you know, everything like that. I got to be honest. I, it was, I was walked through it. You know, the, I had catalogs. I had everything that I could choose from. It was a walkthrough, but the paperwork, everything that is going to be the livelihood of your family moving forward, the liaison is so important, so important. Have those conversations. Review the benefits. You, I don't, you don't have to get into specifics, but what they can expect. You know, what, how things have been allocated, whatever. Just go for a brief review, but harp, harp on that liaison. Uh, for the, the spouses, for the significant others, for the family members, do the same back. If they're not talking to you about it, ask about it. Ask about it. You know, I don't, you don't have to be a negative Nancy about it. You don't have to make it sound like you're, you're waiting for the day for it to happen. You know, heaven forbid. I mean, you don't want to sound that way, but it's, it's something that you should know, you know, and, and maybe here's another thought, you know, I was lucky enough to, I had deputies and, and friends flying in from Michigan to help me out with the kids. But if you don't, who's going to help you with the kids? Cause I can tell you right now, I would not have. I don't know what would happen to my kids if I didn't have the support that I had at that moment in time. If you have kids, who's going to help you with those kids? I had deputies and I had Emily and Cause from Michigan. If it was not for them, I don't know if my kids' diapers would have been changed. I don't know if they would have been fed. 
I don't know anything. That's a, that's something that is super important to just think about, you know, who can you count on? Who can you call? Do you have a person? Are you close to your agency? You know, whatever those things. And for officers in general, thank you. Thank you for showing up and, and wanting to do that. Wanting to be there. I think that it's, I think that, that showing your support, honoring the fallen. If I would have seen empty seats at Benji's funeral, my heart would have been broken. If I would have, nobody would have shown up to his memorial, my heart would have been broken. I think that's part of why you're so upset these days with, with officers that are unfortunately being killed or taking their own lives. And we know that funerals are not the same right now. Yeah. Due, due to the current situation. And then not I'm specifically saying not to the sheriff in your particular case, but just a blanket statement or a blanket word to police leaders, chiefs, sheriffs, directors, etc. Any anything for them about the first week? The only thing I could say is make an effort. And this is just again, if I can remember the one thing that made a difference was cap making that effort that effort to to know and understand and and really get a sense for for who I was as a person who the kids were who Benji was um you know you you listen to cap speech and it would have it sounded as if he had known us for years and i think it's just that effort because now i don't really want to get too much into this but you can tell when someone's taken the time and when someone hasn't. Sure. Well, and then, so two things before I let you go, I definitely want to also, I feel like every time I talk to you, I say this, but it's just because I'm proud. I would be remiss if I didn't say I'm so thankful as a police officer in Florida, knowing what you have in Indiana. And it's, it's almost, it was immediate and it's continued. It was immediate. They were the officer at the door and it has not, it hasn't gone away. It's gotten stronger. It's gotten so much stronger. All and right, part two for that. Okay. Yeah. Part <laughs> <laughs> I could go on and on about them, but yeah, yeah. Let's, let's save that for the next time. <laughs> All right. So part two for that. And then I, thought I had something else, but I think it was just a mental note to just say thank you. Um, thank you for your candor, your honesty, your directness, your bluntness. Thank you for not arguing with me so much on this episode. I mean, you kind of stayed quiet, so. <laughs> you say some dumb shit next time and you're going to get called right on out. <laughs> we, um, um, I'm excited that we have you as as part of our team i'm excited with what you're doing with in honor of benji with the benjamin nims hero foundation i'm excited with what you're doing with taking an active role with nick and the resiliency project and part two is going to be filled with a lot of good stuff as well so thank you again for coming on tonight no thanks for having me on tonight all right so in our go ahead what were you saying Thank you for being such a large part of part two. You're going to get me all emotional and then you're going to call me a bitch now. (laughs)
Oh, you threw me for a loop on that one. All right. Go ahead. Wrap it up. In our, in our traditional closing, we make sure that we honor our fallen and we mean it when we say we will never forget. So it's June 12th and it's kind of bizarre, but when I did some research, I found three separate Florida law enforcement officers that were killed in the line of duty. All three suffered fatal heart attacks on June 12th, different years, different agencies, different circumstances. So they say things happen in threes and I don't know, it's just kind of caught me off guard here. But on June 12th, 1967, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, Sergeant Donald Williams suffered a fatal heart attack during a riot control that he was participating in in Tampa. Sergeant Williams served with the agency for six years. On June 12, 1992, Indian River County Sheriff's Department Corrections Officer Gerald Polo suffered a fatal heart attack during a one-on-one self-defense drill. And then most of us, especially here in Florida, remember just last year, on June 12, 2019, Port St. Lucie Police Officer Stephen Brown suffered a fatal heart attack after completing the third day leading their police act athletic leagues police camp it was part of his summertime duties as a school resource officer he served the agency for 14 years and was survived by his wife his son and his daughter and may they all rest easy and never be forgotten thank you again emily and thank you for listening